You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Today, my friends, is the ninth day of Christmas. Now, I know uh, you've heard of this before, right? The 12 days of Christmas. So Christmas tide or Christmas season starts on Christmas Day and it lasts for 12 days. That's where the song came from, the 12 days of Christmas. So this is the ninth day of Christmas. And um, I know for some of you, uh, Christmas ends at midnight on, on December 25th and December 26th, all of the decorations come down. Right, and you've moved on to the next next day. For others of you, you like to leave your decorations up long into January. My mother has this uh, had this uh, porcelain house village thing like decorations, and uh, if she put it up, I mean, she might not take it down till March. Um, one year, she left it up all year, <laughs> like it's Christmas all the time here. So I don't know where you sit on that on that scale. Like, do you like to take things down on the 26th? Or like my mom, do you like to celebrate Christmas way into March? Uh, both of those, I think, are a bit extreme. If, if having, singing Christmas songs and seeing Christmas lights after uh, the new year of the national calendar gives you a little bit of cognitive dissonance, then for that, I am thankful. I actually want you to have a bit of cognitive dissonance. I want you to feel the rub between what we do here at church and what goes on in the world at large. Because you are not customers of Oasis Community Church. Oasis Community Church doesn't have customers. We, we have congregants. You're, you're members of the body of Christ. You're a part of the family of God. Together, we make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here, you are not a citizen of a nation, not primarily. Here, you are not the customer of a business. Here, you're the child of God. That's your identity. And I want the church and the church calendar to have an effect on you, to kind of shape you. And so the church calendar year begins with Advent. And through Advent and Christmas this year, we've been following the song, O Holy Night. And we've been using lines from the song to kind of title both the two series, uh, A Thrill of Hope, that is our Advent series, and The Weary World Rejoices, that is our Christmas series, which was last week and this week. But then also, each of the Sundays in those weeks also drew lines from the songs in Sin and Air Pining and... Uh, his law is love. Today, it is led by the light. Now, all of those sermons, while the, they drew from lines from the song, they followed the church lectionary. That is a collection of texts that are kind of placed together throughout the year. Um, and they follow these same rhythms, these same themes. So this is good news. It is, it is Christmas time. And here's, here's a secret. Here's, here's part of the mystery of the faith. And I, I, want you to, I want you to wait for it. The really good news is, 
it's always Christmas. Because we are no longer waiting on the coming of Christ. For Christ has come. Christ is always with us. Christ is always available. For us, Christ has been born. Christ has lived. Christ has died. Christ has been raised from the dead. Right? So for us, it's always Christmas time. The time to the mass of the Christ. Right? The time to come and celebrate Christ. That's good news. So led by the light. What is this going to look like? So the text for today included our call to worship from Ephesians 1 and this passage from John 1 about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and all things came through the word and the word is light and life. So during this holiday season, uh, I've watched a a couple of movies and Seen a couple of television shows. It's kind of a good time to relax. Uh, had some few days off from work. And when you watch a film, sometimes we watch our kind of our favorite kind of Christmas films. It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart or Elf with Will Ferrell. It's a funny one. But then I also like to watch the new films that come out. You know, I don't know if anybody's seen the new James Bond. That was pretty exciting. No spoilers here. But I'm a big fan of the James Bond films. I don't know, when you think of James Bond, I'm not sure which person you think of. Like, do anybody still think of Sean Connery? Is that that your James Bond? Or Roger Moore, right? That's the James Bond I kind of grew up with. Anybody think of uh, Daniel Craig? Yeah, that's that's the current guy. He's been great, too. So when you're reading a book, when you're watching a film, we have a tendency to identify with the protagonist, right, with the hero. And we disassociate from the antagonist, the bad guy. I mean, no one watches a James Bond film and roots for the other guy, right? You're rooting for James Bond. Like, you don't watch a Jason Bourne movie and, and root for the bad guys. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. Like, it's like, it'd be like watching Harry Potter and rooting for Voldemort. Um, like, that's, that's not what the writers are intending. They're intending for us to identify with their hero, right, with the main character of the story. When it comes to reading scripture, though, that can be a little, um, a little misguiding at times. Like sometimes we read scripture and we're always identifying with the, the, the protagonist and we're never identifying with the antagonist. So, for example, you all know I teach over here at the college, one of the colleges here in town, and... My students have been there now, um, this is my 18th year, and it's not uncommon for my students to quote to me uh, this passage from Jeremiah. Uh, I, I know you, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, right? They all read that and they read it as something personal to them. Now God was speaking to Jeremiah, but they're like, this is, this is to me. God has plans for me, plans for me to prosper. Anything from you know, choosing a major to getting the internship to maybe getting engaged. Everybody's interested in marriage, you know, or if not marriage, some kind of romantic relationship between ages 18 to 22. So they read that text and and they identify as, as the main character, right? They're like Jeremiah. But then they read Matthew 7, 22, where Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And they're like, whew feel bad for those people, <laughs> right? So anything that's negative or wrong or bad, that must be somebody else. 
And anything that's promising and good and lovely, that must be for for me. But maybe some of those warnings are for us, right? And maybe some of those promises of good things are for others, and we're supposed to be agents thereof, right? So, So who we identify with, I think, is important. And I'll go as far to say this. Jesus, as we're told in John, is the word and the light. And so if you're looking at the the scriptures, you should be looking for Jesus, for Jesus to be revealed in the text. Like that's who you should be looking for. So this passage that we read in our call to worship, it's a a famous passage. It's Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's like the opening 13 verses. But it opens in the first person plural. Like all of these things have happened to us and for us and our God. I won't read the whole thing, but it's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ just as he chose us in Christ. He destined us for adoption, his children. He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Um, In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So who is that we? Who is that our? Who is that us? Well, I think as Christians, we read that text and we're quick to identify with that. We must be. Paul's talking to, to me, right? He's talking to us. But then you get down to verse 13 and he says, In him you also... When you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you were marked by the promised Holy Spirit. Well, if we are the we, the us, and the our, then who's the you? Who's the you in that passage? So one way to read that is that the the we, the our, and the us is Paul and his friends, right? His companions. And the you are just the folks there in Ephesus. But I think if we're reading Ephesians... And we're following Paul's line of thought there. The we, the our, and the us represent Paul and Paul's ethnic people, the Jews. This is, this is not an abstraction about some you know, abstract reality. This is a, a historical phenomenon. Like God has worked in history. There actually is a real God. And God created this real world in which we live. And God was going to deal with the problem of evil. And he did so by making a promise to a friend of his named Abraham. (laughs) And God blessed Abraham. And through Abraham and Abraham's descendants, God has been doing a work. And this is what Paul's talking about. The we, the our, the us, the our Lord Jesus Christ, the the we who have been adopted, the, the us whose sins have been forgiven. That's the Jews. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about you and me unless you happen to be Jewish, right? Then when he gets to verse 13 and he says, in you also, now he's including the Gentiles. This is the light, that the light has come and it has come now to all. That's part of the good news is that the good news, that promise to Abraham has been fulfilled, not just in a a national group, right, of ancient Israelites, not just in an ethnic group of Jews, but now through this one particular Israelite, right, through this one particular Jew, through this one particular person named Jesus, 
the gospel has now come to all. And Paul kind of teases that out through the rest of the rest of Ephesians. He's talking about that. And in the next chapter, he says the dividing wall has been torn down between the two. Right. Making us all now one new people, a new people that are no longer marked by those old markers. Right. A new people that aren't marked by gender. Right. Doesn't matter what gender you are, a new people that's not marked by socioeconomic status, right? Slave or free, a new people that is not marked by uh, ethnicity, Jew or Greek, right? A new people now that is marked by Jesus, right? Faith, faith in Jesus. So um, during the Then Sings My Soul uh, series that we did recently, we did a Wednesday uh, Bible study on the Psalms. And when we were studying the Psalms, a couple of things that we said there that I want to highlight uh, in the sermon today, in the, in the, as I um, kind of uh, the second half of the sermon here. All of that was just introduction. <laughs> and I also want to say this uh, by way of, of advertisement, maybe. Um, you should come to those Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, they're going to start again this Wednesday night, and I'm really excited about what we're doing this year and spending time together studying the Bible is good for Christian folk, right? And that would be a good thing for you to do is to work into your weekly schedule Wednesday nights at 7. All right. So when we studied the Psalms, there, there were two major um, rules or guides that we said we should try and follow as we study the Psalms. And, and both of these deal with what we've been talking about so far. The first is we should always look for Jesus, right? Jesus is the light. Jesus is the revealer. Jesus is also that the one whom is revealed. And that as Christians now reading these texts, we should always look to see where we can find Christ. And the other is, and this is not, it's, it's good for all reading, but it's also good for the Psalms in particular, to pay attention to voice. And by voice, I mean like, uh, like person, like first person, second person, third person, right? Is it an I or a we? Is it a you or you all, or as we say in the South, y'all? Or is it a third person, a he, she, or it, or, or they, right? That, that kind of shift, this is what I was talking about earlier, like when we read the text to make sure we don't um, kind of oversympathetically always identify with the good guys and then uncritically never realize that sometimes we are the bad guys who are being chastised, right? So paying attention to, to voice. So what I'd like to do is turn to a pretty familiar psalm and just walk through it pretty quickly and look at those things. Where do we find Jesus? And paying attention to person, right? And voice. So it starts, this is Psalm 23. It starts in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. Here, the psalmist is talking about God in the third person, Right? The Lord is my shepherd. And again, if we're, who is the shepherd? Well, for us, we now know that our shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the one who cares for us. Jesus is the one who protects us. Jesus is the one who leads us. 
In the Gospel of John, like we read from John 1, but later in John 10, Jesus will be defined as both the door of the, the sheep gate and as the good shepherd himself, right? So Jesus is the shepherd. He's the one who guides. He's the one who leads. He's the one who provides all these good things, the green grass, the still waters, the, the calming of our souls. So amen? Amen. It sounds good. The baby's been born. Everybody's happy. He grows up and he becomes our shepherd. And we got the green grass and we got the still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff to comfort me. Now, wait a minute. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I have, I lack for nothing. I've got everything I need. And even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, now how in the world did I get in the valley of the shadow of death? How good is that good shepherd? <laughs> like where's, where's the shepherd when you need him, right? Why is the shepherd not leading me elsewhere? Well, here's the thing, friends. If we follow our shepherd, we will find ourselves with our shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. Because that's where our shepherd goes. I heard a sermon on this, on this passage of scripture last um, uh, fall. And it was Chris Green, our friend. He preached it at the college. And he said this. He said that the, the shadow of death in the valley is cast by Jesus on the cross. That to, to follow our good shepherd is to go by the way of the cross. Jesus says, if you'll be my disciples, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We can expect nothing other than a life of difficulty if we're following the man of sorrows. Right? The suffering servant. If Jesus is the one who suffers and dies for people and we are going to model our life after that one, then where else might we expect to find ourselves than in difficult situations, actually having followed Jesus. Another author, author I love says it like this. He says that we often find ourselves in Gethsemane, talking about us, like we'll find ourselves in Gethsemane wondering, dear God, how did we get here? Surely you don't want this for me. And sometimes the answer is yes, that's not where I wanted you. You made that choice. Like we have to back up a few steps and realize that we've made some choices and suffering some consequences and we need to kind of rectify those things. But sometimes the answer is, no, this is where you're to be. You're to be here at the point where the world is in pain so that you can be God's agent of love. Like we're called to those hard places because we are the people of a God who loves and and gives and dies. That's the people we are. But what's interesting is the shift in voice. When everything is good, right, we're talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. But in the valley of the shadow of death, it's shifted to the second person. It says, you are with me. The psalmist is no longer talking about God. The psalmist is now talking to God. And that's what we do when times get hard. It's easy when things are good to talk about the goodness of the Lord. Yes, God is good. 
But when things get hard, when things get tough, then we speak directly to God. And we realize, you, you are with me. Then it shifts to this last bit. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil and my cup uh, overflows. Growing up, when I heard this text read, and I heard it read a lot. I mean, this is one of the first things I memorized. I don't know about the rest of you, like, but this Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 and, uh, I don't know, Romans 3.23 and, you know, those, those passages of Scripture that you teach your children to memorize. Psalm 23 was kind of on the top of the list, right? We, we, we read it. We memorized it. I'm pretty sure both of my grandmothers had it in some kind of home decor, you know, the, those, those old decorations, you know, on the walls. Yeah, it was everywhere. So thou pre- prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I thought that was God has brought me through the valley of the shadow of death and is now going to fix a meal for me and he's going to make my enemies watch. <laughs> right? It might have been bad, but it's going to be good and those people are going to have to pay. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But there's a problem with that. That's not who our God is. If we look to Jesus, Jesus is not vindictive. Jesus is not vengeful. Jesus doesn't say, um, flaunt your treasures before your enemies. In fact, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say, love your enemy. The Apostle Paul will say, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And as for your enemies, feed them. He says, feed them. Elisha, the prophet, when, when the, Aram, the Aram, Aramites uh, came and they were surrounded by the Israelite army there in Samaria. And the prophet prays and, and the foreign army receives their sight only to realize that they're surrounded. The king of Israel says, what should I do? Should I kill them? Should I kill them? And he says, no, you should feed them. And so they fed their enemies and it said the Aramites left and never attacked Israel again. The table that is prepared Before me, in the presence of my enemies, is a table that God has prepared so that I might serve my enemies a meal. It doesn't say it's prepared for me. It says it's prepared before me. And it's in the presence of my enemies so that they can be fed. And so that I can be like my shepherd. Right? I've I've followed my shepherd by the still waters and by the green pastures, I I followed my shepherd and found myself in the valley of the shadow of death. But I've prayed that you are with me and now God has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies so that I can now live like my shepherd. There's one last shift in voice here. So it goes from the third person, the Lord is my shepherd, to the second person, you are with me, Now, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, again, and that preparing the table of the Lord, I've heard that reading of, of Psalm 23 a lot. All right, that the table is to be prepared not for me, but so that I can serve others. I, I just kind of run in those, you know, nonviolent circles, you know, peace and the gospel, right? But this last bit, <clears throat> coming back to Chris's sermon, I hadn't heard before. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The me there, which is now first person, is not just a me that exists out of my own sheer will. Like I've tried to be good. I made some New Year resolution and it finally worked, right? The me there is the, it is Christ that has been formed in me. For the Lord is my shepherd and he has guided me. You are with me in the valley of death. You've prepared a table before me and now I've served my enemies so that Goodness and mercy follow me. It's what, Christ, it's what Paul will say. If to, for me to, to die is gain and to live is Christ, right? It's not I who live. And if I live, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That Christ is formed in us. That the same way that the Spirit formed Jesus in Mary, so the Spirit now forms Christ in us so that we become the image of Christ. Like we become the body of Christ. All of that imagery is how Paul and others will write about what this means to be Christian. So the goodness and mercy then that follows me is not that goodness and mercy, again, is for me, right? So that I'm the beneficiary of it, right? Because the Lord's my shepherd, I'm going to have all these good things. It's that now I have been molded and shaped into the light. I've become an agent of the light. Having been led by the light, I am now light. And the goodness and mercy that follows me, follows me in my wake. Because everywhere I go, I am an agent of goodness and mercy. So that whether it's in my home with my family, or whether it's at work with my colleagues, or whether it's at church with my church friends, or or whether it's at random folks at Home Depot or Ace Hardware or Publix, right? Goodness and mercy are following me because now I am living like my shepherd. It's, it's, It's in my wake. It's not just pursuing me just to bless me, Because I wasn't the point of the story, right? I wasn't the main character in the story. The main character in the story is Jesus. He is the word. He is the life. He is the light. And he has come to make us like him. And when he makes us like him, we will find ourselves feeding our enemies and being agents of goodness and mercy wherever we go. And my friends, that is the story of Christmas. That is the good news. Lord, let it be. Help us to follow you. May your spirit 
move in us and through us and transform us. Holiness is not about morality. Holiness is not about sinlessness. To be holy is to be Christ-like. That's what holiness is about. To be holy is to be like Christ. To, to, to say that to be holy is to be sinless reduces what, means to, what it means to be like Christ just to sinning less. But to be, be like Christ doesn't mean to sin less. It means to be like Christ. And to be like Christ is to be an agent of peace and forgiveness and mercy and justice. That's what that means. And that's what we are called to. So I know um, we've come through the holiday season. We live in this world that has just celebrated a new year. And we're looking forward to the future. But for those of you who the holiday season is tough because you remember a lost loved one, Christ have mercy. For those of you who are anxious about the future because you're not sure about the job market or your retirement, Christ have mercy. For those of you who have an illness or facing some kind of diagnosis, Christ have mercy. For those of you who feel alone, whether or not there are people around, you feel lonely, Christ have mercy. For those of you who suffer with addiction, Christ have mercy. Know this, that God sent light into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. And that light is still shining and has not yet overcome the darkness, but one day it will. And you can participate in that. You can participate in that through your devotion and your life. So I ask you, I ask you to devote yourselves to God. Devote yourselves to his church. With your whole heart and your whole self, be shaped by the word of God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.